0: Nice-looking girl chief precisely and she will be your project you will return to earth and supply her aid assistance and advice for a period of 24 hours if you are able to improve her lot we will reopen your case uh,
1: And welcome Straight Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys I uh, um, got the grandma of your dreams uh, last week with all the eyes and ears and arms that you'd want.
0: Yeah, Paul, thanks for the uh, bouquet of eyeballs for my birthday <laughs> yeah. over the weekend here.
1: I was uh, hoping they're brown, like those Aggie, brown Aggies that you like, so you can win every game of marbles. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, if I could find somebody to play marbles with, <laughs> that might be helpful.
1: <laughs> I just I'd like you to try to play them in your driveway because your driveway is so steep. Like, it just be like, oh no, and they all just roll away. Like my eyes, and you just chase them down the street. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we go from whatever the hell I sing the battery electric was to this episode, which I will say whatever the hell this episode is. Uh, this is Cavender is coming. Season you forgot three. the burp before that title. Um, well, if, <laughs> I, I I can. I know we talked about this being like a, just a, like a fifteen minute long burp, uh, which you know, not that far off. Uh, I, I guess I, sh- I, sh- I guess I should say that after last week of us recording about icing the body electric and then talking about the wonder kind of the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, which a lot of fun talk there. That was a fun episode to get into. I was fairly you know <clears throat> inebriated at the end of that, so. I decided to try to, you know, be proactive and I was going to sit down and watch the this episode of Twilight Zone just to kind of get like in my head so that way I wouldn't have to watch it twice in one day because I don't like doing that cuz I want to have a little bit of time to think about things. And I yeah. was sitting on my couch like just you know just so drunk where I could pay attention to things but like it was like I wasn't holding my attention. I just kept looking at my wife. I was like this is a nightmare this whole thing's a nightmare. What I kept saying. <laughs> not, not my reality, but just like the episode, I'm like, what, is, what is even going on? This is a nightmare. <laughs> and You yeah. know what? My opinion really didn't change a whole lot. Whenever I watched it, when I was doing my prep for like the episode proper, maybe I'm front side a little bit, but I will say whatever is the optimal environment to watch Cavender is coming. It is not at the end of the night after talking for two hours about other Twilight Zone episodes and being drunk. That is, that's an oddly specific situation, but not optimal viewing for this episode.
0: I'm going to front sell a little bit too. As this episode was starting and the quirky music is playing, I yelled into my wife in the kitchen that, uh, I was, I was scared (laughs) and she was like me too and kind of laughed like thinking I was just trying to make a joke about how happy the music was. I was like, no. I'm I'm legitimately scared of what is coming in this episode. That sounds
1: like a horror film where the person's in the kitchen making popcorn, and you hear, hey, I'm scared. Ha, 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 that's funny. And they come in, and, like, you've just been murdered across, like, the living room. And
0: oh, then, so- something was murdered by yeah. the end of this and episode. And then, then, then Cavender is leaving
1: at that point. <laughs> like... like.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're front selling this oh, way too yeah. much. To review okay. on this. All so. right. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> oh. yeah Cavender is coming. Yeah. So, season three, episode thirty six. Cavender is coming to murder us all. uh Air date is. Uh, but he wouldn't do it on purpose. He would do it by accident. He would click his fingers. You'd be dead and he'd have no pants on. That's what, exactly just, what would you happen.
0: have, like, no skin. No skin. Like, that would be the screwed
1: up yeah. version of this. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow you're in a horse-drawn carriage. I don't know. Um,
0: oh, God. So I want to see that episode. <laughs> just a bunch of skinless humans in a horse-drawn
1: carriage going through the city. <laughs> That's, you know, I, that already better dialogue than this episode. So, Air date May twenty uh, fifth, nineteen sixty two. Number one film is uh, "Lonely Are the Brave." Uh, I looked this up as Kirk Douglas. Uh, it was a fiercely independent cowboy he gets himself locked up in prison to escape an old friend with an old friend. Uh, it's actually kind of like a modern Western because I guess part of the synopsis is that he gets chased by the police in a helicopter. So I was like, oh, well, that's not like a Western in the sense I thought that this was older. I was like, kind oh. of
0: in the way like Lone Wolf McQuaid is a Western. Yeah, I mean, like rather than a horse, he has a souped up SUV.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Because when I was reading the synopsis, I'm like, well, that's interesting. It's like, oh, helicopter. That's not the old West. Maybe. Um, but yeah. So uh, Kirk Douglas, kind of a Western. Might be cool. I've never heard of it before. Uh, number one song is soldier boy by the Shirelles. So for day and date, and you can tell I I already started doing some stuff before here. So I have three things (laughs) normally, you know, I go digging other ways. If I don't feel like we're going to have the most to talk about the episode and I might be right. So May 23rd, which is a Wednesday before this came out, uh, the first successful reattachment, uh, and quotes replantation of a severed limb was accomplished by a do- Dr. Ronald A. Malt at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Everett Knowles, a 12-year-old boy had had his right arm severed at the shoulder by a freight train. A year after the limb was saved, <laughs> Everett could move all five fingers and bend his wrist and by 1965 he was playing baseball and tennis. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah.
0: How did he just sever his arm with a train?
1: I don't know. Like I just I feel like maybe he was that's putting, what I want to know. Was like, on a, that's, a, that's amazing
0: that that doctor was able to do that. The surgeon was able to do that. But how do how do
1: you only get your arm caught in a train? I think he was putting a penny on the track to see if it derail the train. I feel like I, it would just suck you under, though. Like yeah. I just, like, I also feel like if you got your arm suffered by a freight train, uh, you'd bleed out immediately. That's just a thought because I feel like yeah, that or would be, something
0: else sticking off would hit you. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, you got to be really close. Yeah. To a train to get your arm severed, but
1: I wish uh, I wish it had been a, like. And by 1965, he was again playing baseball and tennis and riding trains. Like I would like that would have been like and playing chicken with trains with his with his good arm. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that's cool. Um, and so on the 24th, which was Thursday, so the Friday before this it was sorry, the Thursday before this episode aired, Scott Carpenter orbited the Earth three times in Aurora Seven and then splashed down 250 miles off course in the fourth mission for Project Mercury. I just wanted to mention just because like he overshot the landing, ended up 250 miles off course, and they had to deploy like a rubber raft and um, find him because he was like out and like uh, he was out in like the ocean for like like a few hours before being spotted. So. That, you know, what's scarier, like going up into like, you know, orbit and being like, oh, I'm one of the first people to do this or being like, oh, now I'm in the ocean and no one could find me. Like that's, that's a series of highs and lows that day. I think.
0: Yeah. Um, I I think getting your arm severed by a train is scarier than (laughs) the both.
1: Yeah, I agree. So,
0: uh, that's, that's a good tie into our, uh. Our episode we'll be covering on the
1: Patreon later. That's true. Uh, and so uh, for May 27th, which is the Sunday, so the Sunday after this episode aired, normally I don't go that far in the week, but when I read this, I'm like, this is perfect. And this ties in it directly to our show, as in Strange Highways, not is coming to kill us all. So on Sunday, May 27th, uh, pursuant to the Township Council Resolution on May 7th, the contents of the new landfill in Centralia, Pennsylvania were burned as part of a cleanup on the day before the memorial day as had been done in the past the volunteer fire department then extinguished the blaze the new landfill however had been placed above an abandoned coal mine and the fire continued to burn underground ultimately reducing centralia to a ghost town i'm sure you've heard of this place you know like you've seen pictures of it that's a place that kind of like silent hill was sort of they pulled
0: some imagery from and everything
1: yeah it's creepy and so because it's still burning the the coal the coal fire is still burning so you'll see these weird ventings in the roads and everything. And the reason I say this is a strange highways connection is because the the novella Strange Highways that Dean Coots wrote that i you know that I enjoyed a great deal takes place like in the 60s in a town similar to this. Like so he used Centralia as like a starting point. So the big like the big like uh moment in this whole like uh, like showdown happening with these characters and will we'll get into it the town's burning underneath and like the pavement's cracking because of a coal fire. So I, when I read that. I'm like, Oh, well that's influenced that story and influenced us for the name of the show. So that happened on this day. Well, the 27th. pretty cool. Yeah. Nice.
0: So we'll jump into cast and crew here. This episode was directed by Christian Nibby, um, who also previously directed showdown with Rance McGrew. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> good sign, good sign for Paul here on this episode. Yep. Yeah, I, I enjoy that episode, but um, it was, it was
1: yeah, it's 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 a goddamn masterpiece uh, compared to what we're about to get into. Uh, and I also like the fact that we call him Nibby. I'm sure it's Nibby, but I feel like you you need a director named Nibby for this episode. I feel no, like
0: I, I like I think I call him Nibby in that one as well. I yeah. prefer to pronounce it like that. I I, I do too. <laughs> I'm doing it on purpose. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I'm just saying, like for this episode, Cavaner's coming. No, I'm I, having. I, a, I don't know how it's pronounced. So. Having a director named Nibby feels very appropriate. So. Yes. Yep. Uh, Bill Nibby,
0: the science guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this episode was written, uh, big surprise, by Rod Serling for yeah. the third time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, cast here, we have Jesse White, who plays Harmon Cavender, who we previously talked about back in the episode Once Upon a Time, <laughs> a.k.a. the Time Helmet episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't we you, have don't Carol you do- Burton.
1: Don't you dare touch oh. those tools! Don't touch the tools.
0: <laughs> uh, then we have Carol Burnett playing Agnes Grep in this, who uh, I think most people would know her from the Carol Burnett Show. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> going
1: to say Cavender is coming. I thought that yeah, here,
0: so. <laughs> this is what most people know. But this is the only <laughs> time she appeared in uh, the Twilight Zone. Uh, the only other thing I was really going to bring up because I think a lot of people know Carol Burnett, uh, she was in a movie called Who's Been Sleeping in My Bed. Um, and she starred alongside, this was her like film debut. She starred alongside Elizabeth Montgomery, who was hmm. on twilight zone, Dean Martin and Martin Balsam, who was oh, in okay. 60 millimeter shrine. So nice little six degrees of, uh, twilight zone there.
1: Nice. So I did, I did a deeper dive into her, uh, because it's Carol Bennett, The only time we're going to talk about her on the show. Um, so she, she had a real rough childhood, um, and was in like a, what was it? um, Not an orphanage, but like a boarding place. Right. So for, you know, kids, uh, youths, right. So when Burnett was in second grade, she briefly invented an imaginary twin sister named Karen with Shirley temple, like dimples. She later recalled that motivated to further the pretense. She fooled the other boarders in the rooming house where we lived by frantically switching clothes and dashing in and out of the house by the fire escape. (laughs) And then through the front door, uh, then I became exhausted and Karen mysteriously vanished. <laughs> 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 so I like that. And then there's the story here. This is going to tie in directly to the episode when she was an usherette at the Warner Brothers Theater. Um, so th- this is where you get like the weird uh, the, the guy ran in the theater with his hand signals and stuff, which plays into this episode directly. So I'm sort- sure Shirley heard that wrote it into this. This guy was just an idiot and like a control freak and would do different hand signals for the ushers and tell them where to go. And it got really confusing and whatever. At one point, um, Burnett, she, uh, saw people trying to walk in on, uh, Alfred Hitchcock strangers on a train with like 10 minutes to go. And so she said, Hey, you don't want to do that. Cause it'll ruin the movie for you. Cause she'd seen it and loved it and knew that there was like a twist and suspense. But I guess at the time, it was common practice for people to buy a ticket to the movie and they just walk in wherever the movie's like, whenever the movie's playing, like whatever point they walk in and then watch all of it to that point and then sit through the film until it gets to the point that they've walked in on and then they would leave, which seems stupid to me, but that was a thing then. But she was trying to honestly like preserve like the integrity of like the viewing experience and that the couple didn't want to deal with it. So the, the, um, the guy who runs the theater or the manager came over Heard what was going on and actually fired her on the spot and took her epaulets that she had, like these shoulder pieces that all the ushers wore and ripped them off like it was a military dress down and sent her out like it was like you're fired. So then uh, later, (laughs) whenever she got her Hollywood Walk of Fame star, they asked where she wanted it and she said right in front of that theater and it's right there right now. (laughs) So that's amazing. <laughs> so I thought that was a good story. And then just because it's going kind to of tie directly to what we're about to talk about. Uh, and then she was also the first celebrity to appear on Sesame street. That's not important to anything, but I thought that was really great. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so no, she's, she's awesome. And also uh, with the carabinette show, which ran 270 episodes, by the way, I didn't realize wow. that like 11 years when she was on a, an earlier uh, variety show. And I just, the name of it's uh, failing me right now. She'd signed a deal at CBS where like with, with the, the, uh, the Gary Moore show. That's it. Yeah. So within five years of the last episode of that airing, she had a deal where she could say, Hey, I want to do a series with the guaranteed like 30 episodes and uh, anything that she wanted, because she was such a wanted talent at that point. CBS gave her this contract. So she's like, okay, I want to do a variety show and I want to be the lead. And CBS is like, well, we've there's never been a woman leading a variety show. She's like, great. I'm going to do it. And so CBS, the only reason why they greenlit it is because it was in her contract. Not that they wanted it to succeed, but they wanted to fulfill her contractual need. And it ended up becoming this huge hit for like 11 years. So good on her to stand her ground and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it the way I want. And it, and it paid off because again, you give the people that are creative, the freedom, like the, the lead, not leeway, the room to make a thing they want to make and they stay focused on it. You usually get good results.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it was on the set, I believe at the Gary Moore show that Sterling first met Carol Burnett. Uh, they were doing a skit based on the twilight zone. I think it was called the mosquito or something. I tried to find the actual skit to watch, but it, uh, it doesn't seem like it's online.
1: It was called admittedly.
0: Admittedly. I didn't do the best, uh, (laughs) search for it, but, um, I figured it would have popped up. I had the day and date of the episode. I had the sketch title. I still couldn't find it.
1: Hmm. So yeah, yeah, you're right. That's how they met. But uh, and he kind of always had her earmarked for something, you know. And whenever there's these ideas coming up, he'd tell Buck out, and he's like, "I want Carol Burnett." And Buck was like, "Who?" <laughs> like so yeah. that just tells you that like Sterling saw something in her that as she was rising that no one that not many others saw to begin with so good on him that he always kind of keeps these like good experiences that he has with these actors in his back pocket and is trying to find projects for them
0: yeah unfortunately he scrambled and found this project for her yeah um reimagining a teleplay that he had written that we will discuss as we get into the story here <laughs> yeah um so next up um not don't have too many more notes here for cast and crew but we have Howard Smith who plays Polk who was previously in a uh, stop at Willoughby. Mm-hmm.
1: He's Mr. Misrael. And he was the one that was push, push, push. That was taunting, yes. you know, our main character there. So yes. Yep.
0: And then we have, I can't read my own handwriting as usual. Uh, Frank Barron's who plays stout. This was his only twilight zone appearance. Don't really have anything else for him. Yep. We have Sandra Gould who plays woman. Number one, who uh, was in one other episode of the twilight zone, but most uh, most well-known for her role as Mrs. Kravitz in Bewitched.
1: Which she took over after Alice Pier- Pierce passed away due to cancer after two seasons, which we yeah. talked about her in the episode Static. So uh, Yeah, so now there. we've
0: covered both Mrs. Kravitz. Yeah, and Sandra Gould
1: was in an episode of Hawaiian Eye, so I wanted to mention that as well. Oh, look at that. I missed
0: that. Um, we have
1: Albert Carrier,
0: I think it would be pronounced because he's uh, – uh canadian french
1: i like french the, canadian. i like you say that not carrier but you're okay with nibby but not nibby so <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> i like nibby it's yeah kind of fun uh, to say um who plays the frenchman um i only have a couple notes for him scarface and the black exploitation movie cleopatra jones
1: i just had him in 1966's not with my wife you don't Like, I don't know
0: what that is, but ridiculous (laughs) title. (laughs) It's almost as good. That'd be a good double feature with who's sleeping in my bed.
1: Not with my wife. You don't.
0: (laughs) That'd be the best like double feature poster uh, artwork. Just have them. So it looks like one title. (laughs) Love it.
1: Do you remember like, sorry, I'm going to sidetrack and I'm trying not to so badly in this episode. Uh, There was that film uh, screwed that had Norm Macdonald. do you you see like the, there's this one drive in theater that showed it like all summer. So they could always put it in the marquee with the other (laughs) titles. And it was like, screwed my dog, skip like screwed (laughs) Aaron Brockovich. Like they kept, like kept running it just to keep like adding that to all their marquee titles. And I thought it was amazing.
0: (laughs) That's pretty funny. Um, We have Donna Douglas who plays uh, the character of a debutante who uh, was the revealed version of janet and eye of the beholder
1: yeah and that she's uh was it ellie uh clampett we, we talked about that already yep yep
0: uh we have john fieldler who i wanted to bring up as field rep number three uh juror number two and uh he was in night of the meek
1: yeah that's piglet um, also
0: yeah. yeah piglet which yeah. we found out that depressing story
1: <laughs> about him and, and the voice actor of tigger
0: so yeah yeah um, and then lastly, if we get an appearance from Robert McCord as a waiter in this
1: episode as well. So I wrote Robert McCord as I'm sorry you were in this is what I gave his, <laughs> his credit as, um, I just want to mention there was another character named Jack Younger, who was a truck driver in this, uh, only twice in an appearance, but he was in a movie in, in 1960 called dinosaurs with an exclamation point. So I thought that was a Ooh. great title for a film. So, you know. If you have to put an exclamation point in your title, then maybe the, like maybe the film itself isn't that exciting, but you're trying to convince people it is.
0: I actually have this on VHS. I've never watched it.
1: <laughs> I hope it's told from the, t- the, the perspective of the dinosaur. I looked up and saw an airplane one day. Go by. <laughs> he just looked up. Oh, he's basic. like, what is that? And it's, it's the flight of Odyssey. Or sorry, flight 33. And he's just like eating food. And he looks up. And he's like, that was weird. And he just goes back to eating grass. That would be amazing. Um, so
0: there there's one review for that for dinosaurs on IMDb, and it's uh, film teaches a valuable life lesson. Uh <laughs> six six stars.
1: What's, what's the life lesson? Um like watch out for um like life ending meteors? I don't know. Uh wow. I don't I don't know what the lesson is in dinosaurs.
0: The lesson is If you're ever building a harbor on a Caribbean island and dredge up a perfectly preserved T-Rex and Brontosaurus from below the ocean floor, do not leave them lying on the beach during a thunderstorm, (laughs) as a freak bolt of lightning may revive them and lead to all sorts of trouble.
1: You know what? That is a good lesson. It is. I take that back. That's a very good lesson. Uh, The the Reptilicus guys could have probably learned a lesson from that. But they didn't. Ferbs54,
0: thanks for that review there.
1: (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah, that's our cast and crew. Uh, Let's just get to the surly intro, which is, this one's one of the weird ones because it's it's broken up in two. So if it sounds odd, it's because it is odd. And if it sounds bad, probably because it is.
0: (laughs) Jeez. Small message of reassurance to that horizontal young lady.
1: Don't despair. Help is en route. It's coming in an odd form from a very distant place, but it's nonetheless coming. Submitted for your approval. The case of
0: one Miss Agnes Grepp. Put on earth with two left feet, an overabundance of thumbs, and a propensity for falling down manholes. In a moment, she will be up to her jaw in miracles, wrought by apprentice angel Harmon Cavender, intent on winning his wings. And though it's a fact that both of them should have stood in bed, they will tempt all the fates by moving into the cold, gray dawn of the Twilight Zone.
1: The cold, gray dawn. That is way scarier. Than anything in this episode, it's like whoa, that's a dark place. Yeah.
0: Do you think she got the overabundance of thumbs from the store from the last episode?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's you know they just, <laughs> they just ran like they they had they had a sale on ears and eyes and they're like no one's just buying these like just just disposable thumbs like we have arms on the wall but just a whole bag of thumbs. Yeah, I can see that happening. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, this thing, uh, it. <laughs> I, w- I will say also with Serling's intro, he's trying to sell Agnes Grepp, which I, as much as like, his, some of his names for characters are like grown worthy, like like this, I like who thinks of the the last name Grepp that the, that just sounds like just a like a horrible name. It sounds to somebody. like
0: something a thumb does.
1: Yeah, like it greps things. Also, yeah. do you prefer mayonnaise or Miracle Whip? How do you, which do you prefer? Cause this is full of miracles. Which, which do you <laughs> defer? Uh, b- prefer not defer anyway. Uh, so yeah, uh, this one starts off like very fast with, uh, with this like theater manager coming in and he's opening a door. Oh no, I'm sorry. It starts off with the angel stuff first, right? Or does it start off with her? No, it starts out with oh, yeah. her. Yeah.
0: Um, I had to restart this episode yeah. like four times. So I've, I'm I've sure watched this, this
1: twice, once drunk and once sober, and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. So, yes.
0: Yeah, so you got Carol Burnett looking into a mirror, kind of fixing her hair and stuff and just touching touching things up. And the theater manager comes in, opens the door, uh, hits her in the butt, and she falls over.
1: But not just hits her in the butt. You hear a boom, like You hear like a sound effect to go with it.
0: Yeah, and, yeah. like, the musical hit and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we go up to the heavens.
1: Well, because we get the freeze frame, which I, I interesting, right? And then we go up to the heavens, which... Um, is it is it interesting? Well, I don't I, know. Like, I feel like it, it's, like, a cap removed from, like, It's a Wonderful Life. I didn't mind that. That still feels somewhat modern when you see a freeze frame with, like, dialogue. It's not. This is not a good episode, but it's an interesting stylistic choice just to get to that point. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the most I'll say about this other than I like Carol Burnett's performance in this as much as she's not she's not given anything but I like her in it
0: yeah well she's likable yes so that's it, it, there's nothing really written into this uh, that
1: helps her no
0: but it's impossible not to like Carol Burnett so that's a, more of a more of a plus for her her uh, reactions
1: and like facial like facial reactions to things were, were great you know for as as small as this episode is she brought as much as she could to it. So I, I liked her in it in terms of her. You're right.
0: Yeah. So we get we get the first part of Serling's intro and it pans up into the stars, into the heavens. And there are the angels watching over. Um, and you find out that there's this angel apprentice, Cavender, who hasn't earned his wings. He's uh, kind of a failure, screws everything up. And they send him on a mission. That if he passes this, he'll earn his wings, I guess, or at least be a step closer to earning his wings. Uh, so he has to go down there and improve her luck and fix her life.
1: Yeah. Um, I also, if the other angels have wings, they're just like pinned off to the shoulder. Did you see how? Oh, they're their wings terrible. Are? Yeah,
0: I hated the costumes for the <laughs> angels. Um, I swear, I could see like the black sheets in the star backdrops behind them. Oh yeah. In that set. Like it was just, it was so shoddy. (laughs) Um, And and not in a way, like sometimes we get shoddy scenery or shoddy set design in, in twilight zone. And it's, there's something charming about it. Whereas this episode, I don't know if it's just because we've had such bad luck with comedic, uh, twilight zone episodes that I was already like, Oh God, like looking (laughs) at things in this episode to tear apart.
1: Yeah, well, because even later when we get to the end of the episode where you like you're back in heaven, you see the office chairs. Like you know, it was like what did I what did I write here? Uh, um, what was it? Um, Something the effect of like there's like heaven has a lot of folding chairs. Is what I wrote because there's a lot of like actual folding chairs around. Can't the Can't they just desk. like float around up there? Like why do they, yeah, why do you need chairs? You have need, wings. Yeah, it's this is not a business, but whatever. So. Yeah, so it cuts back down to to her after, you know, getting hit on the butt with the door, and so then you get this whole thing with the theater manager, lighting them all up and talking about the different hand signals, and it's all garbage, but I like her trying to, like, parse out what the guy's saying and kind of mimicking with her hands what he means, like, like, separate from everything that was entertaining just because it's her just trying to keep pace with what's going on around her. But then, yeah, he, he, but this um, whole thing's it, I want to yeah. step back yeah. real
0: quick. Um, oh yeah. The sterling Ser, part. Sorry. Sterling's yes. introduction. Yes. Um, the second part of it, yes. he steps out of the mirror that she was looking in when she got uh, knocked over and, and, That's my favorite part of this episode is the introduction of Serling.
1: Yeah. I I meant to mention that, but yeah, it's like, why is the best, like the best entrance for Serling to an episode in this episode? Like, I don't know why him physically walking into the sequence out of the mirror is great. And I'm like, you could have done that at any other time in this season, you know, but Nope, that's you do it now. Um, and I also like that it's with Carol Burnett in the foreground. So you see her trying to like, you just see her slowly moving away, like out of frame. (laughs) to get that to happen but yeah i like that intro but then yeah i get this weird theater manager and all this stuff and uh yeah Yeah, this scene's kind of fun like
0: i i didn't hate this stuff um yeah the hand motions are ridiculous and um yeah she's having trouble keeping up she's not really understanding um what's going on so he finally disperses all of the uh Uh, the employees all the girls run off everyone knows exactly where they're going but she didn't understand the hand signal that he was giving to her to where she needed to be so she ended up being the spot girl who is the one front and center so when people are walking in she's kind of ushering them to where they need to go um but i like that the spotlight came on yeah and she like jumped into it finally realizing what she was supposed to do like that was good
1: yeah. And I like that as she's being handed tickets, she's like, Here, you have this whole moment of like, I don't know what to do with these. <laughs> and she goes to the concession yeah. stand. She's like, what do we do with these? And the girl's like, I don't know, like that whole thing. <laughs> um, so I, again, her, her ability to play like uncomfortable and like, you know, um, a little uneasy, it, it, it elevates this as, as much as it can. And like, she, she's entertaining in this moment. Yeah. So
0: she's finally uh, trying to figure out what to do. And she's calling for her, the theater manager again. And she runs and trips through the mirror. Mm-hmm. And on the other side is his office. Um, so the next time we see her, she's leaving the place because she got fired.
1: So would you classify that as like someone jumping out a window? Because I mean, it kind of is a window a little bit.
0: Well, well. Spoiler. I know. We are going to get something. I know
1: we're going to get that. I just didn't know if maybe your interest in the episode raised because someone jumped through a frame in which there was glass in it. So I don't know. No,
0: it's not. It's (laughs) not a window. I don't know.
1: But then again, think about that. Like that, that mirrors covering a hole to his office. Like there should be a, like a wall behind it. Right. Yeah. That's not safe at all. No, she should be in ribbons. The angels already, he just already screwed up. Like he couldn't even stop that happening. But yeah. So. We get outside, and she's waiting for the bus, and um, and as she's trying to get on the bus, like I think there's a bit where she bumps into somebody that you know, she's trying to get on the bus, and there's another sound effect, like a boom, another one, and yeah. then she sits down on the bus, and Cavendish pops up beside her, and she doesn't really react to just a guy just suddenly just showing up beside her, which that just implies that she's been riding this bus for a while, and dudes are just weird and sit down beside her, which is not unusual on a bus.
0: Yeah. yeah so he's trying to convince her that uh, he's her guardian angel <laughs> yep and she's not really understanding not I, I don't think it's necessarily her not understanding but it's her uh, not believing him mm-hmm. and just not giving him the time of day to listen to him um, So he's like well let me let me show you a miracle and maybe you'll understand like wouldn't you rather be on like a in a flashy convertible with your own personal driver than this bus? Um, so he does this little hand snap.
1: No, he puts his like his, his fist out. And he licks his thumb and presses yeah. his thumb to his palm. Like it's like he's pressing a like an angel button or some shit. It's it's stupid.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's this there's the same sound every time he does it, and the sound is more sinister than you would expect for this. Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was strange because you have <laughs> this really goofy music and this almost creepy sound when he does that. Um, but yeah, the first time he does it. He turns the bus into a horse and buggy, and then he fixes it. It goes to a convertible. Then he goes back to the bus.
1: Yep. And so then trying to convince her, she's getting ready to get off the bus. As the bus is stopped, the bus driver gets up, and he was like, tell my boss I quit. And he immediately just jumps out the window of the bus. And it is so abrupt and sudden that it didn't occur to me until the second watch that that the bus driver was the one in the like working the horse drawn carriage and the one driving the convertible. So yeah. the joke yeah. is, is that he has no idea what the hell's going on. So he's he's just done and instead of walking off the bus, just jumps through the window. <laughs> All right.
0: I mean He's not the first one to do that on the series. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it didn't it, like, I feel like it took less for the guy in person and person's unknown just to leave that office. So for this guy to be like, <laughs> i I was just in a horse drawn carriage and a convertible. I don't understand life. I guess I'm out of here and crash. And that's it. But they just tell that joke encapsulates this whole episode of like, it might be funny, like talking amongst friends or in your head, but then when you commit to it, you're like, this, this is not good. Like there, there's no spark here, you know? And that yeah. joke it it should have been this big Looney Tunes moment when it wasn't it was more like well that was weird and then she turns around and looks at Kavanagh and he spelled his name out no he said you know sorry he spelled out guardian angel in like glitter puffy paint in the air or something it's just what yeah, I don't know
0: yeah uh, well so I think we teased this last week at the end of the episode so this film was or this uh, episode was initially shot with uh, a laugh track yeah So, I I can almost picture what that scene of him jumping out of the window would have been with that laugh track on there.
1: So the funny thing about the laugh track, and by funny I mean not really, uh, is that at the time CBS had like a policy of their shows that they didn't use canned laughter, so they didn't like that. They thought it was kind of like phony. But there was a weird thing with like like some some kind of production wrinkle where that with payment and who was like cover like financing the shows that. They saw the cut of this, and they're like, We need to put a laugh track in there. So, like, no one, like Buck out and no one wanted this in there. And they basically said, You have this whole thing was smeared with laughs over it. It didn't make sense. I just point that out now that like CBS is like, No, we can't have this laugh track over top of this. And then you look at like a lot of their comedies now, and it feels like they're like, Please, more laughs. You gotta sweeten all this because no one's really laughing at this. That's me jabbing at CBS now. But I like that there yeah. were like, no laugh tracks then. And now we got to put them all in there because the big bang would just be awkward guys dropping pop culture references with no one reacting.
0: Yep. yep. Um, but that was really the only scene that I could like. I could imagine the laugh track on there because the rest of this episode, it's not like anyone's waiting. You know, like usually you get those awkward pauses yeah. in between lines while you wait for the laugh, the laughing to go down or but something. Not like. with
1: laugh tracks. Like, I mean, have you you've seen like the Brady Bunch and shit from back then where it it, it, yeah. just, it just rolls yeah. over top of things. Like, there's no pausing between like the 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 jokes. It's just it's just there. And even like the Flintstones, they put that in, right? Like, there's yeah, that, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's so fine. I but feel like, like it, yeah.
0: For taking it out, I feel like that's the only scene that I could imagine there being a laugh track on this for, though. Is I, I guess uh, outside of like the pauses in between the dialogue and everything, like that's the only time where I feel like that joke may have played a little bit better
1: with a laugh track. I are, don't know. Are you Probably saying not, that you actually but, laughed at that, and you're hoping that others did? Is that what you're trying yes. to
0: tell me? Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to say right now. Is that I thought it was funny, and I uh, wish other people were laughing yeah. with
1: me. Well, because you're like no. Wind- window crash. It's just
0: the only scene that I could yeah. see there being a laugh track for. Yeah, because it feels like something like a Flintstones joke or something. Or
1: I could even see it like being in something like Family Guy or Futurama because it's that outrageous. But the episode just it just it, none of the rest of it felt like it fit around that. And I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it, it was just so came out of nowhere that it didn't fit the rest of the tone at least the early runnings here, like it, the whole thing was goofy, but that was like just cartoonishly goofy.
0: Yeah. And him writing the guardian angel, like you were just saying that, yeah. that seemed out of nowhere too, and kind of pointless <laughs> yep. and probably expensive at the time. So <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're like, All right. and also that's the other thing too, is that the budget on this is actually much higher than your typical twilight zone episode because, uh, CBS, like since this was supposed to be a, a backdoor pilot, uh, Cuyahoga productions a Buck Houghton was like, well, if this is a pilot. We need more money. So a lot of this, what you see was actually financed from CBS and not Kyoga productions. So as much as we can, you know, talk about this thing looking shoddy, it actually had a lot more money behind it than a lot of stuff in season three.
0: Hmm. I wonder where, uh, that money
1: went. Sterling cigarette oh. habit, maybe I don't know. Um, I guess, yeah, or just that uh
0: him writing his name, the guardian angel out,
1: <laughs> or the party they have later that they fast forward through. Maybe that party went for twelve hours. We just don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you, you get this thing where was it? uh So then uh, Agnes goes home, and you see that she's like she likes all her neighbors, and she has full candy bars that she gives to the kids. Which you know, if you have full bars handing out to kids, you're a good person in my book. You know, they, that's pretty cool. Um, and then she gets up to her apartment, which just to point out, she has some weird shit in her apartment, which was just made me just this thing. The whole premise screams in Mr. Beavis because this is Mr. Beavis. But it's like, oh, you also have to give her a weird sculpture in her apartment. She's eccentric. You got to make things a little odd because you keep getting across that she is discombobulated. But you really don't really get that from her as much as you did with Mr. Beavis, where he was just an oddball that likes zither music.
0: Yeah, I feel like one thing I will say about this adaptation of the Mr. Beavis story, um, she is very awkward and and nothing seems to go her way when she's out in public. But when she's immediately as soon as she's back in her own element uh, of her apartment building or in, uh, you know, bowling or whatever, like. She doesn't seem awkward anymore. No. Like, she knows exactly what to say to people. Um, everybody likes her. It's just... It's one of those things where its it shows the two different sides of her. Well,
1: and even with her episode. losing the job of the theater as ridiculous as it was, it was more like that guy's a maniac and it wasn't because she is an awkward person, you know, yeah, versus yeah. like Mr. Beavis where it's like, you just can't show up on time. He's like, well, I got to come up with this tweed jacket that doesn't match everything else. Like, you know, and, and I have to have a racist clock on my desk. I, these yeah, things take time. Listen to zither music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever. So, um, so Cavender shows back up again and she's not bothered by a guy just like on the couch beside her talking. Um, and he explains again, he has 24 hours to make her life better. And part of it is he realizes that she can't keep a job. So why not just make her independently wealthy? And so he he shows her bank account has a lot of money and then decides that her apartment shouldn't reflect this so that he ends up like finding a mansion somewhere in New York and gives that to her. And then they have this big party with like everybody that she doesn't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's this whole party and um, I I, this is another scene where I actually like her performance quite Mm a bit um, because you can tell that she is really out of her element in this. And there's the Frenchman who keeps popping (laughs) up who keeps trying to like court her during the party. And, uh, the first time he grabs her hand and like kisses it, she screams and grabs <laughs> on the Cavender. Like, I thought that reaction was funny. And there's a scene later on, cause they do this whole montage thing where they have like the, like people laughing in,
1: it's all uh, sped up.
0: Yeah. It's uh, all the audio is sped up and there's like overlays of the party happening over her face and her and Cavender sitting around, um, Another time when he pops up, she's like eating hors d'oeuvres, and the Frenchman like comes out uh, up and like eats them out of her hand. <laughs>
1: like it's yeah. so creepy. I wrote, I wrote, what is the French word for rape? And it's probably rape. That's probably what it is. But this guy felt like he was just being super aggressive, and I she was just yeah. I don't I blame her.
0: Know the word because there's a movie called moi So <laughs> that's uh- a. <laughs>
1: Well, now we know. Um yeah. I thought it was cre- I thought I thought it was crepe. I don't I didn't, I thought that was the word. I uh, but that's oh, t- <laughs> Um I didn't really believe that.
0: I, it, I don't want to go into that restaurant. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> hey guys, it's, it's 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 fresh crepe. No, I don't want that. No, thank you. Uh so um all right. Anyway, so this whole thing it makes sense like that they're just kind of like showing that she's exasperated with all the sorry, discombobulated with all of this. And you could tell that this isn't really her element. There's a quick joke about uh, the angel like making like the perfect martini or something to that effect. It was okay. Like I like that it showed that Cavender is like you know you know he might be a bumbling angel, but he does know his drinks. I thought that was kind of an okay touch. Him trying to put them in the evening wear and him not having pants was stupid, but whatever. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: I, I do like that she notices all the art when she's in the mansion for the first time, and then at the end of the party, you see that all the art in the house is crooked yeah on the wall so i thought that was a nice little touch too because you can tell that she has some sort of uh proclivity to the arts and everything with her sculpture and her apartment so little touch um kind of liked it i guess
1: but i also like the so the, the next day cavender wakes up you can tell he's kind of partied hard and like most of the 24 hours is gone because they partied all night. And, you know, he's, he's, he, he has to be hung over somewhat. Right. I mean, unless we go by dogma rules where angels can't imbibe anything. Uh, but so then he sees that like, you know, she's gone and she tries to go back to her old apartment. And she's like, it's been rented and none of my neighbors know me. So like, he's like, yeah, because we've, we fixed things. And she's like, no, I want my old life back. And that that's where we're pretty much the same thing with Mr. Beavis of like, well, maybe, maybe it's just better the way you are yeah yeah she says like it's
0: it's not necessarily the money or the place that's keeping her down but it's it's basically that she has no friends now Mm -hmm. um yeah so she wants to stay at her old apartment she wants everything to go back to normal so eventually he does um she goes back inside and everybody recognizes well, her again. Well, she kisses again. the
1: milkman passionately and she realizes Oh yeah. That.
0: Yeah, he was uh, his reaction cracked me up. That was actually. That might be the funniest thing in the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she runs up to her apartment, looks out the window and thanks him again and um, he realizes that money and happiness don't always go hand in hand and that uh, she's the richest woman he's ever met. So there's a thunderclap and he gets called back up to heaven. So he goes back up there and there's a whole list of infractions of him getting drunk. Um, it, it's this whole slew of unangel.
1: He's like getting drunk, not wearing pants, causing a bus driver to kill himself by jumping through a window.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think that one was mentioned.
1: Was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if the whole thing is he's supposed to improve her life. They didn't take points off for ruining that guy's life, by the way. I just want to point that out. Maybe that was the next assignment of like, you need to help this jobless bus driver now. I'm like, oh, I know that guy.
0: Yeah. So he's, he's going through that and he's like, yeah, you're going to get demoted for this. And as he's about to hand down the punishment, they hear the sounds of bowling (laughs) because earlier in the episode, you find out that, uh, uh, she's very into bowling. That's, that's one of her, um, one of the things she likes to do, one of her social activities. So they hear the bowling sounds and the main angel realizes that
1: she's actually happy and he did it after all. Which, I mean, really is that like he helped, he improved her happiness by like what he said, 600% or something. It's like, no, you screwed up her life for a day. And she's like, no, I was happy the way I was. Like that doesn't, that that's not helping her. That's just her reaffirming to him that she's she's okay where she's at. Cause she never once gave the idea that she was unhappy at all. Like there was never this moment of her being like, I wish things were different. So I feel like it's weird that they gave him credit for her being happy with her life when she was happy with it to begin with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't happy with her job, but overall like when she yeah. got back to her apartment, like she seemed very happy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, let's there, be yeah, there's, there's a little <laughs> final gag too of when uh, they're watching her bowl, the main angels, like, uh, oh, are you supposed to leave your finger in there when you uh, throw the ball? And it's her being dragged down the I, what is that called? The lane the lane
1: the bowling trough I don't
0: <laughs> so uh, it, it's funny there's a bowling alley we go to and drink yeah. all the time and I think I've bowled there like once
1: <laughs> oh so you've not thrown you've not thrown a ball down the bowling trough uh no that's where that's where she has the six thumbs because no, she keeps I losing thought them. the whole
0: thing was a gutter yeah because <laughs> that's where I usually end up yeah
1: playing. and bowling for me bowling life you know uh no, that's where all the thumbs come from because she keeps losing them because she just keeps chucking the ball down the lane. Sorry, trough. Um, so yeah, that's that's the, that's <laughs> your episode. Um,
0: yeah. So they set yeah. up because, like you said, this is a backdoor pilot. They set up the idea that uh, he's going to go down and keep helping people improve
1: their lives and helping uh, make, and air quotes and written and glitter pen helping. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So he's going to go down and. Uh, Help people realize that they're already happy, week after week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was, it's people being held hostage, where it's like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You should go now. You should go. We're good. cabinet. We're fine. Like, you know what? I know, I know, I'm I'm dying of a disease, but you know, I'm fine. I'm good. You need to go. <laughs> like, I would like you
0: know. Um, yeah, but th- that set is so. It's uh, I don't know. Like, maybe it was charming at the time, but. Just the whole office boardroom with the door that says like Third Celestial Division Angel Placement yeah on the door and everything. It was just it was shoddy. It was it was
1: bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. And so he, so I I don't think I don't think you have any more notes about the episode because I don't either. <laughs> I don't know what
0: you're, um, you're at. I yeah. was just gonna say that the uh, direction of this episode is pretty unremarkable as oh, well. Yeah, there's really nothing. Yeah. Nothing to raise this episode
1: up. Well, the problem is, is that we now know, like we've known this, um, that, that this, like the Mr. Beavis concept was something that, that Serling had you know, pitched. And there was a couple different scenarios that he wrote out. And we've talked all about that in the Mr. Beavis episode, which I did not like. And it was one of my least liked of the first season. It was first season, right? I think it was first season. Um, but with this, like finding out that this is like his second stab at it. And all he did was just kind of change the gender of the main character didn't it just didn't work again like and I, I just it's one of those things where you could tell that he's feeling this pressure and he's like why not let's just try it one more time and, yeah, and
0: it's just it's shocking that he wanted to work with carol burnett so bad and he was trying to find something to work for her. and if if i remember correctly like he even spoke poorly about how mr beavis turned out
1: yeah he wasn't a so fan it, of that.
0: it just seems weird that this is the one that he turned to, to again for carol burnett who is a uh, get for him in this episode
1: yeah so um just before i get to his his reaction to the episode to to her like he wrote a letter to her about it i'll read that in a second um so on the cbs all access app of which we you know are are gladly subscribed to for the new twilight zone the description of this episode is carol burnett stars as agnes grepp in this tale of a klutzy usherette rescued from poverty uh, poverty 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 by a guardian angel. This charming episode was considered a, as a pilot for a new TV show. <laughs> all right, CBS all access way to way to sugarcoat all that. Cause you guys know that you paid for this like 50 years ago. I thought that was funny. This charming episode. And then one of the bits of trivia on IMDb was stated, voted as being the most hated episode of the series. Like, I like that. <laughs> I like the back and forth of CBS being like, this charming episode, and then the rest of the world's like, it was voted most hated. Like, <laughs>
0: I I don't know if I can hate this episode. That's That's the thing. Like, there are things that are really bad in it, but like, overall, it's just so... It's so bland. It doesn't feel like the Twilight Zone. Everything is so mediocre in it that it's just... It's not that it's terrible. It's not like...
1: Well, it, it, there's so much wrong with it that, like, I, uh, this is me, like, front silence a little bit. When we get to our end of the season, which is, you know, next week, and then the week after, we'll do our recap. I don't think this is going to be my bottom five because it's almost like it exists in its own bubble that it can't even qualify for bottom five. But just kind of there. It feels stillborn. And I feel bad even putting it amongst, like, the worst because they're – There was no potential to begin with the biggest weight, the wasted potential here of Carol Barnett, which is the biggest shame, but everything else here is this DOA and it just never, it it didn't burn me up like the other episodes that have frustrated me this season.
0: Well, we've already been frustrated by this and we were, we've already been burned by this episode. Mm -hmm. So knowing going in that we're basically just going to get a retelling of Mr. Beavis, like my anger has already been let loose on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> like I, so there's there's really nothing left by the time it's just more of that same story. Yeah, and it's just it's uninspired, it's recycled, and it's just it's just kind of blah
1: overall. Yeah, <laughs> like that, absolutely,
0: just, it, there's nothing really to necessarily hate completely about it, but there's nothing good in it.
1: No, so and, I and-
0: I would. And I don't even want to say it falls kind of in the middle like we've we've definitely had some episodes in season three that I'm like this is just okay like it's it's fine like this is definitely bad but like you said it just exists in this other world. And it doesn't even feel like the Twilight Zone. So. Yeah,
1: it's neither light nor shadow. And it's the gray dawn yeah, it's or whatever. The anyway. gray dawn, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the gray dawn. <laughs> so, um, all right. So I'm gonna, I'll get to what Serling uh, wrote to Carol Burnett about this episode directly. He said, uh, I feel like Napoleon surveying the aftermath of Waterloo, except at least I got residuals. All he got was Elba. <laughs> I hope it was Eider's Elba. Uh, if this truly is the best of all possible worlds, I think I'll check with Greyhound to see if they have any trips to other galaxies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I just you, you, the, the the first person to shit on Sterling is Sterling, and I can I, I, I as just knowing me that my go-to is to always tear myself down before others can. I can relate to that. So he also added uh, his valued opinion regarding the finished product, having recently uh, previewed it, the final cut. And He said, "The show you did for us is not good and it's not bad, which makes it lousy. With a combination of talents like yours and Jess's, it would have been Oh, it should have been walloping exceptional that it isn't points up to the fact that you were done all wrong by all concerned. The script, I guess is part of the trouble, but even more culpable is the direction. Oh. This was quite the most heavy handed ham fisted squares directing I've ever cried through. God knows what it's scheduled for. And I hope you'll be out on a ferryboat someplace and I won't, and won't have to see it. I promise that if given a second chance ever, I'll make it up.
0: Oh man, <laughs> Nibby just got
1: thrown under the bus there. <laughs> but did you see like the whole thing of like, you know what? It, like This is kind of what we're talking about last week with uh, Ray Bradbury, where he had a watch party and he got angry watching the episode with this. He's just telling, telling her like, Hey, I hope you're out at sea and don't get to watch this.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, just don't watch it. Um, yeah. That's just, yeah. it's so funny that uh, now we've gotten Serling tearing down this story twice that he's tried to do, but I like that. It's he's just,
1: like, he's like, well, maybe it's the script. Well, no shit. It's the script. Like he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. Nibby's directing
0: is pretty unremarkable in this. There's, there's no real inspired shots. Mm-hmm. Um, like well, you brought up the, uh, freeze frame, but I'm going to give that more to editing yes. and the same with like the overlays and everything, but it, there's really no interesting shots. Like the Twilight Zone is kind of known for that we've been seeing on the past couple episodes mm-hmm. as far as like memorable imagery, good good angles or anything like that. Like there's nothing. It's just like it's shot like a sitcom from that time or just from like a comedy of the that now era. Now
1: that I think about it, Nibby is your go-to guy for mirrors breaking. So maybe that's why he was brought in. Because with showdown with Rance McGrew, that was the gag that kept happening was the gun being tossed, and in this one, it's like, hey, we don't have a gun, but we have Carol Burnett. He's like, I have the solution, and so they just like, you know, we're going to break a mirror, so we're going to bring in Nibby because he knows how to shoot mirror breakings. That's an yeah. oddly specific niche to be on the Twilight Zone, but so far, I mean, other than I think there's a mirror that broke in the dummy, but it was a handheld mirror. But full-on mirrors, he's your guy, you know. So, yeah. So Nibby
0: also. Uh he did direct eight episodes of Lassie. So yes. I think that's the
1: perfect f- place for him and, to uh, In seven with. of those, Timmy was stuck behind a mirror and the dog just jumped through just to make sure that Timmy was okay.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it, that's I say that a lot about like movies or music or something like the worst thing you can say about something is that it's it's okay or it's forgettable. Like, like, uh, like I feel like that's even yeah. worse than having a negative reaction. Cause you remember negative reactions. You remember amazing reactions you had to things, but how many things have you seen that have just been unremarkable or okay that you don't remember anything from, I think that's the biggest sin out of like any type of art yeah. is that it's just mediocre.
1: Um, and that, and then and with like, uh, with me watching all these weird Canon films for the other show. And then like the knockoff stuff we did the year before the biggest sin, this stuff can commit is to not like being like doing your own thing. And at least being weird. Like if you play it safe and try to like chase coattails, you're going to be very forgettable. And it's unfortunate because the twilight zone is this thing where the highs are so high that it has set the standard that within itself, something like this, where you're like, yep, you you've done better and you've done more interesting. And this is none of that. It's, it's very frustrating. But again, like I, because there was no potential going into this other than some of the performances, my, my feelings of this episode, aside from my initial first drunken watch where I'm like, what is even going on here? I, um, I don't despise this episode. Like I do other ones because it was already on unequal footing going in.
0: That's why I said, well, like, yeah. we've already got our anger out into the world with Mr. Beavis, like, and if you go into this knowing that it's a retelling of that teleplay again, you're already let down going into it. So it has no place to go than up yeah, from Mr. <laughs> Beavis. So I guess I guess that, that works in favor of the episode, but it's still bad. Yeah. Like, it's it's still it, it's a minor improvement on Mr. Beavis, but not good <laughs> enough to give this thing a pass
1: all right um i think we've given this episode more credit or not more credit more time than it probably is <laughs> yeah, deserving I was like whoa whoa you're, you're like you're, like, you're like shut <laughs> your goddamn mouth there's no credit given of this episode yeah.
0: no my credit goes <laughs> solely to carol burnett for being super <laughs> likeable and uh giving it her all for yeah. what was not the best
1: story all right so we're just we, because we have to do this this is rate the twist in words I never thought I would say ever in my life, I'm going to give this a one because we can't get a zero. And the, and I just wrote, this is the twist. Mr. Beavis was better. That's the twist for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I think
0: I enjoyed this uh, a little bit more I, than Mr. I think, Beavis. I think a structured
1: uh, story, it actually had a, at least more of a beginning, middle and end than this, where it was just this big party thing. And then her being like, you know what? My life is better. At least with Beavis, it, like it was the first time seeing it, so it was at least something different. So that's where I rate a little higher than this. I do like Carol Burnett more than um, what's his face that was in that episode? You know that guy that was acting as Mr. Beavis.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's where my enjoyment factor went up a little bit. Was just uh, Carol Burnett in this, but yeah, I'm also going to give this a one. I mean, we all we already knew what the twist was going to be that she's going to want things to go back to normal. Um, and I was thinking like, all right, maybe he'll get his wings at the end, but nope. They nope. just keep sending him on more adventures. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't know what yeah. twist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I uh, wish I could give this one a zero for twists. twist.
1: I mean, I, we've never done that before. I guess we could. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, when we say one to five, that does imply that zero is, is a rating, right? Cause I mean, yeah. one, one, I don't
0: know. I'll, I'll give it a one with okay. a, uh an asterisk i'll give it a
1: A 0.5 0.5 you know what i want to retroactively award this a 0.5 yeah i think that's i think that's better um all right so before we get on to our next episode uh kevin how can people find us Uh, you can find
0: us on facebook and instagram and uh we're available on podbean Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Satchel. uh, We're now available on Spotify. Pretty much anywhere you want to listen to podcasts, we are there. And it would really help us out if you would rate and review us. And also, as of the past couple
1: weeks, we've had our Patreon up, which is patreon.com slash strangehighways. Yeah, so uh, little as one dollar. Uh, You can join. Um, We have a couple different tiers. $1 gets you access to everything that we're doing on our Patreon, including the new Jordan Peele uh, Twilight Zone run. We're about to to record our episode for uh, season six, uh, Six Degrees of Freedom. Uh, we're going to have interesting talk about that. So if you guys want to hear us talk about that, just pay $1. You'll have access to that. Pay $5. Uh, you could pick an episode of an anthology series that's not the Twilight Zone, and we will cover it. Um, and then you also have access to the detours as well. $10 or more, you will uh, not only get all that stuff, but you also can pick out um, a, a anthology film. And we'll cover it on the show, and you can come on with us. And we'll send you a framed photo of Hyperion, the most important racehorse that did not get disqualified from Kentucky Derby just to point that out that did not happen with him. Uh, so yeah, that's our, that's our Patreon. We've had some people join up between episodes recently. We do appreciate that every little bit helps. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but I could not think of anybody else. I'd rather talk about new twilight zone with uh, than is with Kevin and I just can't think of any other way that I'd want this to this conversation to be available to everybody. So thank you guys. It's been, it's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, thanks, guys. And yeah. I kind of did that out of order. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, also not on Facebook or Instagram, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at
1: gmail.com. Yeah. So all right, next episode that we're going to cover for the original series is actually the season three finale. So um this is exciting. We're we're like, made it. We made it. Uh yeah. Uh so this episode is called The Changing of the Guard, which I feel is an appropriate title for the end of the season. Uh <clears throat> next week on the Twilight Zone, Mr. Donald Pleasance visiting us from Broadway brings his exceptional talents to a very special program. The story of an aging schoolmaster who finds some faith, some hope, and some meaning, some mending glue for a few shattered dreams, but he finds it in the strange manner unique in the shadow regions of the Twilight Zone. Next week, Donald Pleasance in The Changing of the Guard. I
0: like uh donald pleasance joining
1: us from haddonfield like yeah, oh wait <laughs> yeah. oh, oh he's on the search for the puma man is what's going <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, Donald Pleasance is not an unknown uh, commodity on the show. Cause we've talked about him twice previously during the monster club and Telephone. So, and I think that he actually is in the series a couple times. So this will be great to get us some Donald Pleasance. And this feels like, uh, I've not seen this episode. So this feels like might be more of like a soft landing for the season and like a more heartfelt ending. I'm fine with that. This will be good. It'll be good to here's crossing some fingers that we uh, end on a good note. That would be, that'd be great. And no comedy notes. No, no zither, no slide whistles, no booming noises, please. That'd be great. So, all right, that's what
0: we're going to get one more slide whistle. Uh, check out the Patreon for that
1: later on. Oh oh, shit. You're right. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Oh no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. So that's going to do it for us for is coming. He has left and he's left all these bodies, like dead bodies in his wake. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Have a great week and, uh, we'll see you next week for our season finale.
0: Yeah. Until next week. Watch out for those mirrors. guys on assignment conduct on becoming an angel champagne drinking gin and tonic drinking gin fizz drinking gin on the rocks extra dry
1: martinis inebriation and i could go on from there